Hello, church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa, those in the South Sanctuary, those at our Speedway campus, and those of you watching online. For those of you who are visiting today, uh, you need to know that Westside Family Church has seven values, but the one that stands at the top is the one that drives everything for this church, and it boils down to a single word, actually a single name, and that name is Jesus. And the tagline is Jesus, it's all about Jesus. So I'm going to say Jesus, and you shout out the tagline. Ready? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And for us to reinforce the priority of Jesus in our lives and in our congregation, one of the ways we've done that over the last three years is that in the 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday or Easter, we focus on one of the Gospels. And so uh, in our first year of doing this in 2021, we focused on the Gospel of Luke, no, Mark. In 2022, we focused on the Gospel of Luke. In 2023, we focused on the Gospel of John. And so now in 2024, can anybody guess the Gospel we're going to focus on? Matthew, you're absolutely right. But we are not launching this by ourselves. This is actually a movement. There are 131 churches in Kansas City who are doing exactly what we're doing today, unifying around the person of Jesus. And there are also churches in 32 different cities that are doing this. And we had a pre-launch, and you'll see uh, places all over the world that gather together for the pre-launch. And you'll also see that there are 100 of us on a Zoom call. This is just one of the pages, and you'll notice that I am on the top there, and Pastor Matt Adams is on the bottom. We have our finger held up, declaring there's one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so this is a worldwide movement. So today what I want to do to launch this series is to ask a series of very important questions. And the first one is super practical. How do I make the most of this series? Because at Westside, we don't want you to just be hearers of the word. We want you to be doers of the word. We don't want you to just hear a talking head. But rather, we want you to engage the scriptures for yourself. So there's four ways to get involved over these next uh, eight weeks. Number one is we have eight sermons that are going to be unpacking the gospel of Matthew. So come and invite somebody to come with you. Number two, we have watching groups. We have selected six uh, episodes from the gospel of Matthew on the life of Jesus and put them into about a 17-minute episode. And it's perfect for you to create a watching group with some of your friends perfect for your A2 group, and have a discussion after what you've seen. The third way to get involved is called a listening plan. Listen to this. If you will commit to this, 10 minutes a day for the next 40 days, Sundays are off, for 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday, for just 10 minutes a day, for 40 days, you will be able to listen to all four of the Gospels in preparation for the biggest day in the church's calendar. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And the fourth way is for you to reach out. And it's called One Invites One, where you would invite somebody else to join in with you, either in the watching group or particularly the listening plan. And, uh, and so you want, might want to do that. I've invited everybody that I know, and I have 65 people that are going to listen with me on the version plan, and we're going to interact uh, every day on that particular plan. 
Now, the second question is, what makes Matthew different from the other Gospels? What makes it different? And the answer to that question is, is that Matthew zeroes in on a unique theme, and that theme is Jesus Messiah. Now, because we don't use the term Messiah much in our modern vernacular, it doesn't really strike you like it would strike the people of the first century. So our next question is, what is a Messiah? And if we answer the question, what is a Messiah, we'll see that it's from the Hebrew word, Mashiach, which means literally anointed. So Messiah means anointed. In Judaism, the expected king of the Davidic line who would deliver Israel from foreign bondage and restore the glories of its golden age. At one moment in history, David uh, was visited by God and God said that he was going to put a king on the throne that would come from his family and they would be on that throne forever and ever to, uh, to, to accomplish the will of God. And so when we come to the time of of Jesus, 900 years after David, what we discover is that the Jewish people are expecting a Messiah, an anointed one, who will sit on the throne of David, who will help them overcome the bondage they are experiencing from the Roman Empire. They were looking for an earthly political leader. So when Jesus steps on the scene from Galilee, nothing good comes from Galilee, from a poor carpenter's family, they reject him straight out as the expected Messiah. So the question now becomes is, what is the purpose of Matthew writing this book? And the purpose is very clear. He is going to confirm for his Jewish Christian readers that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Now the question is, how is he going to prove to the Jewish readers that Jesus is in fact the Messiah? And the way he's going to do it is that Matthew is going to quote more Old Testament scriptures than the other gospel writers of Mark, Luke, and John. He's going to quote Old Testament scriptures because the Jewish readers were convinced of the power and the veracity of the Old Testament scriptures. And so if you open up your Westside app, you will find listed in the app all of the Old Testament scriptures that Matthew is going to quote uh, in reference to the coming Messiah. Now, many Jewish people uh, in the time of Jesus and today have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, and they're called Messianic Jews. Messianic Messiah, Messianic Jews, and it's an awesome thing. But there are many Jews back in the time of Jesus and on up till today who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. As a matter of fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem today and stand at the Western Wall, which is the only wall remaining from the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, also called the Wailing Wall, you would find a, a bunch of Hasidic Jews who spend almost all of their day there wailing and praying for the coming of the Messiah and for that Messiah to build a temple uh, on the Temple Mount that's currently occupied by a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. Here is a video that you would see of an Hasidic Jew wailing and rocking and pleading for the coming of the true Messiah and for the temple to be born. 
Now, if you were to go there yourself, like I took a, a bunch of people from Westside a couple of years ago, when Christians stand at the wailing wall, we do not wail for the coming of the true Messiah, but rather we pray and praise God that the Messiah has come, and we pray to him with the cries of our hearts. Uh, and when I went there a couple of years ago with a bunch of Westsiders, uh, I had the privilege of praying for 24 people who gave me prayer requests. I prayed for you at the Wailing Wall, and I placed your prayer request into the Wailing Wall, and what a privilege it was. Believers in Jesus also do not pray that God will build the temple on the Temple Mount because we learn in the Bible that we have become the temple of the living God, and we pray that God would build up our lives so that we would walk in a manner worthy to house the living God. Amen? So now, what's going to happen is, uh, is, uh, is that he's going to lay out all of these Old Testament prophecies. And today, I want to give you one of the first ones as an example. Now, you go back into the Old Testament, uh, about 700 years from the time of Jesus, and you run into the man, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, in chapter 40, in verse 3, makes this prophecy. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the, in the desert a highway for God. Now, this is a language that has in view a near eastern tradition where often a nation would send ahead a messenger who would announce that the monarch is about to arrive in your city. So this person would come and announce that. In the last book of the Old Testament, in 400 years before Jesus, the prophet named Malachi said something quite similar, another prophecy, from Malachi chapter 3 in verse 1. He, he declares, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, says that the next prophet who speaks will be the one who introduces you to the Messiah, to the anointed one, to the king promised to David. And the Old Testament comes to an end with the prophet Malachi, and the next 400 years, God is silent. Can you imagine how dreadful of a time it must have been to live in an era where God is not talking? But then we open up the pages of the New Testament. In the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 3, you need to listen carefully to what it says. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today. In honor of God's word, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. Then he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And lighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Of the Lord, you may be seated. When John opened up his mouth in that moment and declared, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, everybody who heard him knew exactly who he was claiming to be, and the person he was preparing the way for, the king, the anointed one, the Messiah. Prophecies in the Old Testament that were made 400 years and 700 years ago in that moment were fulfilled. Mic drop. And this is just one of the many examples you're going to experience over this journey that would convince one that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. He is in fact the Messiah. And that it is not a blind faith, but rather it is one filled with tedious precision. There are some 547 Old Testament scriptures that refer to the coming of the Messiah and we see the record in the New Testament where Jesus fulfilled 300 of those prophecies in the Old Testament. So much so that if Jesus were placed in a court and he was being charged as whether or not he was guilty of being the true Messiah that God promised to David, he would be convicted beyond a shadow of doubt 
based upon all of the evidence. And that's great. But what matters in this moment is what you think. Today, in this moment, you are a jury of one. Who do you say that he is? And so therefore, we go to this question that I think you need to answer. Why do we need a Messiah? Pastor Randy, all of this has been great historical evidence. Truthfully, I didn't know this about the Bible or about Jesus, and that's all great. But I can't, for the life of me, figure out what that has to do with my life today. What does it matter? Most people I know, to be honest with you, most, the majority, are just frankly trying to get through the day. Pay the bills, maybe find love, maybe have a little fun, get a good night's sleep. We're not thinking much about this particular topic. We don't have time for ancient text and far-out prophecies from 2,000 years ago. we got to keep our focus on the here and on the now. So we ask ourselves the question, why do I need a Messiah? And the truth is, you and I are in a heap of trouble, whether you know it or not. Remember the definition of a Messiah. A Messiah is someone who delivers people from their bondage and restores them. And that is referring to you and I. In the Bible, in the book of Romans, it says that we are slaves to sin. That we received a sin nature when we were conceived in the womb of our mother that was passed down from our mother and father, who got it from their mother and father, who got it from their mother and father, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And this sin nature that we are born with gives us a strong propensity for weakness, a strong propensity to make poor decisions, a struggle to overcome temptation that often leads to horrible consequences in our life, and there seems to be nothing we can do to stop it. In addition to that, we discover that we are imprisoned in this world with all the other people who are also um, overwhelmed by their sin nature and their poor decisions, and they're giving in to their temptations that oftentimes has devastating effects on all of us, and some of you are dealing with those devastating effects right now. We are in a heap of trouble. Paul also says in the book of Romans that we are not only slaves to sin, but we are slaves to fear. We're slaves to fear because we have this sin nature in us. And if we can't do something about ridding ourselves of this sin nature, we're going to be in big trouble because the Bible says because of our sin, we will ultimately experience death. Why do we die? We die because of the sin within us. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. That's why we die. When we are born, we begin to die. When we are born, we recognize at some point that we have a death penalty and we're just waiting for it to take place. And because of this, if we do not have a solution to the sin nature within us and we die without a solution, we'll be eternally separated from God. It's not good news until you hear the bad news, right? It's not good news until you hear the bad news And that naturally should create a tremendous fear in all of us. And so what I find that most people do, the majority of people, is they ignore this fact and they go about their life as though it isn't so. 
but it is so, and every day you ignore it, you're closer to having to experience the reality of its truth. But to those of us who are willing to accept its reality, it creates a tremendous amount of fear within us. And when we have fear, we lose hope. And not only do we lose hope because of eternity, but we lose hope in this life because of the experience of living in a broken world where there's the fear of loss, the loss of our health, yeah, the loss of relationships, the loss of our finances, the loss of a job, the loss of loved ones in our life. The older we get, the more people we say goodbye to, and it creates a fear in us and a loss of hope. And that, my friends, is why you need not only a Messiah, but you need the true Messiah. And that's what Matthew is trying to convince us of over these next 28 chapters, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, who in one fell swoop overcame sin and death through his crucifixion and resurrection. All other kings that have ever existed expect the people to go to war to save the king, but this is the only king who went to war for us so that he could save us. And when we place our life in the hands of Jesus, when we trust him as our Messiah, he breaks the bondage of sin and death within us. And now, because death and sin no longer have a hold on us, we live with a tremendous sense of hope, hope for the day and hope for tomorrow. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know how this story ends. Even if it seems bad today, we know how the story ends. The story ends great for us. He has infused in us new life. He has infused in us new purpose. He has given us power in the Holy Spirit. We no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in light. And all of God's people said, amen to that. So three points of application. I'm going to ask you this question. Who is your John the Baptist? Who is the person that introduced you to the Messiah? Who is that person? I've shared my story because it's the most important story over and over again. I grew up in an unchurched home. And at the age of 14, a family that lived two doors down from us one day invited me and my younger sister to their summer vacation Bible school. I didn't go the first day because I told you several weeks ago I was super shy. And when the church bus pulled up to take us to church, I backed out. My sister went. She came back and said it was so much fun. I mustered up the courage to go the next day. And three days later, I found myself placing my life in the hands of Jesus and accepting him as my Messiah. Yeah, that's my story. So the name of this family, uh, the couple, is Ray and Mary Graham. They moved from West Virginia. He refers to himself as a hillbilly, yeah, and he moved and worked with my dad. And uh, back three years ago, uh, he reached out to me and left a voice, uh, a voice uh, mail. And uh, because uh, I have such a, a fond affection for Ray and Mary, I saved it. And if you don't mind, I'd like for you to hear it. Is that okay? Okay, Ray Graham. Hey, Randy. This is your old hillbilly buddy, Ray Graham, your other daddy. Hey, 
I've been trying to get a hold of you, son, and I wanted to just say hey to you and see how you're doing. Bless your heart. I think about you often. Hey, if you ever get a chance to maybe give me a call back, I appreciate just getting to talk to you, brother. It's uh, Ray Graham. You have a blessed day, little buddy. You're the real man. God bless you. Bye. He calls me his other daddy because my father has passed away, and he really is my spiritual daddy. Yeah. You notice he called me little buddy? That's not what you call me. Because he's known me since I was three years old. And he's the one who invited me. And here I am today. And so I thought it would be super special for us to kind of put a, a face on this. And so I asked Ray and Mary Graham if they wouldn't mind flying from Cleveland, Ohio to be with you today. And so I'm going to ask you to give um, a round of applause. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. You may be seated. So, Ray and Mary, I've been doing the math. Uh, this June, is, uh, it'll be 50 years since you invited me to church. And I just want to say thank you. It's not the first time I've said thank you uh, to you, but I wanted to say thank you today. And, um, yeah, I was 14, and you were 38 years old. And you invited me. So what possessed you to invite me uh, to church? Well, you know, Randy, we worked as a team at our church. And our pastor, he was from Kansas, too. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that. He no. was. And he came to Ohio. And he, was, and he was a very motivating kind of a person. And he had this big bus ministry. And we were all involved in it. And... There was a lot of different guys that drove, but we had four buses, and when I drove the bus by your house, there was three other guys that were driving buses by other people's houses, inviting them. So I said to my sweet Mary, I said, we got to go by Randy's house and invite him to come to vacation Bible school. And we came to your house, and you said, no, I don't think I want to go. You had, your arm was broken. Yeah. And you said, no, I don't. I said, okay. Uh, your sister might want to go. And she said, yeah, I, I would. And she did. She went was, and next night we came back, and you were all dressed up, and you had a sport jacket and tie on. You looked like a million dollars. You still <laughs> look good, too, brother. I tell you, <laughs> bless your wonderful heart. And I was probably all greasy and dirty. I'd probably just crawled out from under an old bus or something. But you know what, folks? He went off, this young man right here, he went, he started working at our bus ministry. He started working at our youth group and he started doing music and he, he was responsible for turning our church around and he just went on it. Here he is now, I mean, a great ministry that he has. I'm so proud of him. I love him so much. <laughs> so, Ray, um, 
you have a, a John the Baptist in your life that kind of got you on the straight path. Tell us about him. Okay, uh, when I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to this little uh, revival meeting. You know, like you were singing about revival here. And that's even, uh, people need to be revived in their churches that when they get lackadaisical, they say, my pastor, uh, the Huntsburg Baptist Church in Ohio, he used to say, you get lackadaisical. You need to get cheered up every now and then. Somebody needs to take you by the arm and tell you you made to have your life to be better. Well, my daddy took me to this evangelistic meeting, and I turned my life over to Jesus. I got saved. And from there, coming to Ohio when I was just a young boy, when I met my sweet Mary, uh, she's a Yankee. I'm a hillbilly from West Virginia. <laughs> I love it. And uh, so we went to this little uh, church in Cleveland, Baptist Church, and I, uh, there was a man there. His name was Alan Alba. He was a wonderful Christian man. I mean, he, he loved the Lord, and he was always so helpful to try to help people get their life right. And so he said to me, Ray, you living for the Lord? I said, no, not really. I'm, I'm lost, he says. Did you ever ask Jesus into your heart? I said, yeah, I did, but I'm, say, I'm not saved anymore. I did wrong. He said, no, let's come into the pastor's study, and I'll sit down with you, and I'll talk to you and show you what God's Word says. It's what God's word says. It's not what people say. And uh, so he prayed with me, and uh, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And so that's, and then uh, from there on, I wanted to try to serve him. And I'm still going to want to serve him as long as I can. It's not easy serving the Lord. You can tell people about the Lord, and they might want to spit in your eyes sometimes. <laughs> you know that? And that's happened to me. But you've got to keep that on going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Ray, you have always been faithful to share your faith. And uh, you were telling me the story yesterday about how you were in a Save-A-Lot, which is a store yeah. in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, Mary was in shopping, and you were out at the car reading a book. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was reading Randy's book. And you folks know he's written many books. And I always have to tell everybody that I know that my Randy's written many, many books. All you have to do is look online. You can find him. Books on there, and it'll be helpful to you. And I was reading that book and uh, while I was waiting for my sweet Mary. And so this gentleman came up, and uh, he said uh, he had his little puppy dog. And I love doggies, too, just like Randy loves beagles. And I, I love beagles. And uh, he, he, uh, he was talking to me, and I said, uh, he said, what are you reading there? I said, I'm reading Randy's book. I said, he said, what is it? And I said, it's what happens to you after you die? And he said, well, what about, I said, I asked him if he was a Christian. And he said, well, yeah, you, people will tell you they're a Christian. But uh, if you say, are you born again, Christian? And then they have to think about it. And he said, I said, you know if you're going to heaven if you die? And he said, well, I'm not sure. And so I had to just give him a little talk about that and tell him if he asked Jesus to come into his heart. So that was a blessing. I had that book, had Randy's book. Praise God, my, my dear friend that, that uh, lives in not too far from where we live, he's, he doesn't say, praise the Lord. He says, praise God. Now I like that better, don't y'all? <laughs>
Okay. okay, one more question for you, Ray, is, um, you know, you're 88, and you're very excited and comfortable to go be with Jesus, but, uh, but Jesus visited you and had a word for you about your timing. Oh, yes. Um, that, yes. I, it's kind of, I just kind of made this up on my own. Uh, I said, I'm 88, Lord. I'm standing at your gate. And the Lord says, but Ray, you have to wait. I said, Lord, how's come that is? He said, you got to stay down here on earth for a little while and take care of Mary till I'm ready for you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last question comes to Mary. Mary, who do you want to see win the big game today? Go Chiefs! <laughs> Woo! Let's give it up for Ray and Mary Graham, my John the Baptist. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so, um, who is your John the Baptist? I want to encourage you, um, if they're still alive, to spend the rest of your life making sure from time to time you honor them for this. And if they've passed away, this afternoon post something on your Facebook or Instagram or TikTok that just really honors them. I, I mentioned Ray and Mary Graham in the acknowledgement section of every one of my books. And, and, and I've talked to them many times about this. And I'm just so, well, eternally grateful, right? Yeah. So the next question is, be a John the Baptist. Be a John the Baptist. Like Ray and Mary Graham, ask yourself the question, who do I need to go ahead of Jesus and introduce them? And, and that could be just as simple as inviting them to this series where we're going to be talking about Jesus or into a watching group or into your listening plan or inviting them to our Easter services coming up. Maybe it's someone that you go to school with or someone in the neighborhood, someone you work with. And, and you're going to probably have the little jitters, you know, uh, but just what might happen is that you will do this and that person will turn out to be your kids or grandkids pastor one day, right? Because that's how it happens. Yeah. The last question I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes here at Speedway, those of you watching online. And I'm going to do something that's kind of old-fashioned, but back in 1974, it worked for me. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure, for sure, you would go to heaven? If you are not sure, I'm going to ask you, just everyone's eyes are closed, to just raise your hand. If you're not 100% sure. Yep, I see those hands. Yep. Yep. I remember when I was... 14 years old, and I sat in three, four nights of these youth gatherings, the youth pastor would ask that question. And the very first night, I actually raised my hand thinking, I've got the right answer. And it was the right answer for me. And then he said, how many of you know for sure if you would die tonight, you would go to heaven? And in this room, I'm going to ask Speedway and online, if you know for sure, raise your hand. Yeah, and I did the same kind of thing, and I looked up, and everybody but me had their hand raised. And I thought, man, I am missing something. And so if that is you today, and there was way more than one hand went up this time, 
I'm going to invite you after the service to go out into our commons area and talk to our and talk to our deacons in the red shirt, and they can help you with this. And you can even go public for Jesus today through baptism, or you can even wait, because we're going to have a big baptism celebration on Easter Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be great. Heavenly Father, we now thank you for our time together today, and we now stand to our feet to worship you for who you are and all you've done for us. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.